0: The Lord be with you. you, A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. On the Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told a parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, Give your place to this man, and then you will proceed with embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place, so that when the host comes to you, he may say, My friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, When you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your wealthy neighbors, in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. A few years ago, a trilogy of books was put out, and movies subsequently made about them, uh, titled Divergent, as part of a Divergent series. And it was kind of set as a a future, a future of, of America, more or less, uh, where society had kind of crumbled and they were living in a completely different type of state than what we would used to be living in. Rather than just individuals being kind of tied up wherever they were, society was divided up into five specific groups. so there were individuals who were represented there was five essential. Kind of characteristics or virtues of the human person, but it was taken to an extreme, and each of those individual groups was called to live out that extreme to the highest. Uh, so there were the, the dauntless, who were the ones who embodied the virtue of courage, but to an extreme of craziness, such that every single one of them, it seemed as if it was a rule that they had to have tattoos and wild hair, and they had to, they had to uh, jump off of trains as their mode of, co- of, of common transportation. It was, it was kind of bizarre. And there there were the, the erudites who were the, the, the special thinkers whose entire life was consumed with, with knowledge and education and books and soaking in all of that. And they had other groups as well. But they had one group that was called the abnegation. The abnegation were the ones who embodied the virtue of humility but to an extreme. They were required, unlike the other four groups, they were required to wear a, a drab gray clothing rather than bright colors that might indicate some... Something special. Uh, they were required, by virtue of of their being in the group of abnegation, to only have a certain hairstyle, not to have fancy things, not to have nice things or many things, but rather to be uh, abundantly simple. Uh, you were unable to be able to to express your gifts and to use to use the good things that uh, that were part of your own natural life, um, because you were abnegation. You had to necessarily quench all of those things. Whenever you were in the presence of other members of the, the four other members of the society, the abnegation were always the ones who had to step back and to, to kind of give way, to defer uh, to those who are members of the other groups. I mention that because this weekend we hear the words of Scripture inviting us to reflect upon humility. And oftentimes when we hear humility, we think the abnegation. We have to have the, dra- the, the drab gray clothing. We have to have. Uh, a sense of, of unable to be, uh, to be special with ourselves. Still working on the train issue. Oh, well. And it comes out of nowhere. It's crazy. So the there were, they were ones who had to be, uh, uh, again, kind of deferring in all things. And, and when we think of the humility, it, it forces us a lot of times, we have to think of that extreme version where we kind of like, oh, you know, I don't have that gift. I, you know, I can't really, I'm not good at that. You know, and this, this false humility that, that, that basically is a lie. St. Benedict, he was a, a, the founder of Western monasticism, the, the, the great Benedictine monasteries. When he was writing in his rule on the monks and their gifts, he said it would be a shame. Even more, it would be a sin against God. If a monk who had a good voice intentionally neglected it because he didn't want it to stick out. It would be a sin for one to reject their gifts that were rightly given to them by God. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of times we think humility is, a rejection of the gift that is something that could be, a sense that could lift us up, that could exalt us. And we think humility is the rejection of the gift rather than a recognition of where the gift comes from. And that's the important piece. St. Thomas Aquinas said to recognize truth and to live truth was humility. To be humble was to recognize that every single one of us was created in the image and likeness of God. They were created for heavenly life. But at the same time, on account of our sins, we deserve hell. But on the other hand, Christ has saved us and redeemed us. And by the gift of baptism, we are heirs to the kingdom of God. But we have to work and labor for it. So it's recognizing the truth that at once I am a sinner, but also I'm a sinner who is called to be a saint. St. Teresa of Avila, when she was in in her own convent with the Carmelites, she was struggling with how to live out humility herself as a religious sister. And she asked the Lord one day in prayer, she asked him point blank, Lord, what is humility? And the Lord Jesus responded to her, knowing what you can do and knowing what I can do knowing what you can do and the limits thereof, and knowing what I can do and the fact that there are no limits to it. That's humility. It's knowing that in our weakness, we have many great gifts that come from God, and we let all of our things rely upon Him. Everything is relied upon the Lord Jesus. That's humility. Not this false humility that rejects all of the goodness in us, but a recognition of the good and where it comes from. Humility is very important in the Christian life it's not something that kind of, it 's not just one of the, one of the virtues that 's taken among all the virtues it's the most important virtue of all. Today's the feast of St. Augustine of Hippo, a great doctor of the church. He was a man who lived a life of Revelry left a life of partying of debauchery but he was converted. He became a great priest, a great bishop of the church, one of the most profound bishops. He was a writer who was absolutely incredible in his writings. 1400 no, 1600 years later, we still haven't translated them all into English. So prolific was he. <laughs> They're still not all in our language. A profound writer. And as he was reflecting on the spiritual life He came to the understanding one day in his prayer. He said that if we don't have humility, every other virtue that we appear to have is a lie. If we don't have humility, every other virtue we appear to have is a lie. Because every other virtue I appear to have, if I don't have humility, ultimately is just about me. It can look really good on the outside. It can look look positively saintly on the outside. But without humility, it really is concerned about me. That's humility. A call to us to be humble before the Lord. It's the foundation of the Christian life. It's our everything. Because it's the first place that Christ comes to redeem us. In the fall, going back to Adam and Eve, their first sin was a sin of pride. The sin of exalting themselves. And it's the Lord who came to humble them. But in response the Lord, Jesus comes to redo that same sin. And what is the remedy? Humility. Obedience to the Father, where He comes and He empties Himself and He takes on our flesh and saves us. Without humility, we're lost. And only with humility are we saved. So we must have it. But how do we get it? How do we grow in this virtue that's the foundation of everything that we do in our as Christians? St. Benedict has a nice little 12-step approach where you can climb the ladder of humility. I don't expect you to remember 12 points, so if you want to find him out, you can go Google it. He's got a nice reflection in his rule, uh, the rule for monks on, uh, on monastic life. Um, wonderful reflections that certainly you're able to apply. But I would like to bring basically what he, what he says, and that's part of the rule, as well as other writings, and synthesize it into three main points. The first point is to pray for humility. To pray for humility is immediately off the bat to recognize that I can't do it myself. If I'm pretty sure that I can make myself humble by my own will and my own choosing, I am at the height of pride. It's only the Lord who gives us the grace to be humble. It's only He who allows us that virtue to be alive in our hearts. So the Lord Jesus comes and He gives us the graces as we ask them. So to pray for humility, to seek it out, to ask for the gift, to seek to ask to knock, and to know that it will be given to us. If you want a specific prayer, I would encourage you in the praying of the Litany of Humility, a wonderful prayer composed by a cardinal about 100 years ago in the church. The Litany of Humility is a profound prayer, and it strikes at the root, and it hurts a little bit whenever you pray it. The first time I prayed it, I felt I felt pretty rough afterwards. Like, Lord, we got some work to do, big guy. You know. The priest who suggested it, who first introduced me to it, said that when he was given the litany of humility, he read through it and he was so afraid to pray it, he gave it to a religious sister and asked her to pray it on his behalf. <laughs> he became a good and holy priest. So apparently, her prayers were effective. But it's first and foremost to pray for it, to pray for humility. The second thing is allow humility to come forth in our speech, to say things, to allow our conversation to be marked by humility. Archbishop Fulton Sheen was remarking in one of the letters of St. Paul that he was going through in the particular chapter the words I, me, and my whereas a litany where every, it seemed like every fourth word. It was something effective over 30 times in a single chapter. St. Paul said, I, me, my, I, 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 me, 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 over and over and over again. And at the end of the chapter, he paused to, re- to reflect upon the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and how that was his glory. He said, Archbishop Sheen said, It's interesting to note the next chapter of the, the, next chapter of the letter doesn't mention I, me, or my once. How often in our conversation it can turn to I? I focus upon myself. But as we turn to the Lord, as we allow him to increase humility within us, as we allow him to convert our hearts, it becomes more about the other than about myself. And that's what Christ calls us to. To allow humility, to allow us to be conscious of our words and to focus on asking the other things, to focus on you rather than I. Simply that practice trains us in our mind and our thoughts and our speech to focus on the other. But not just in, the, in, in those types of things, but even in the midst of conversation, how easy it is for our conversations to be for a purpose of us gaining something for me. And not always in a positive sense. To gain knowledge is good. To gain wisdom is good. To gain spiritual insight is good. But to gossip for the gain of power and authority over someone else, because you now, you now know what they did or didn't do, is not good. And so to gain for ourself in a, in a wicked sense, an evil sense, is not of God. And so the Lord too invites us there. Humility, to humble ourselves. Not to try to, allot, to exalt ourselves over other in our speech or by our thought or by the words that we listen to and speak, but rather to lift them up and to allow ourselves to be humbled. The last thing is to do things that humble us. This is an important piece as well. The Lord Jesus says it explicitly in the scripture. Go and take the last seat. Take the, take the lowest seat so that whenever, the, whenever they come... <coughs> Excuse me whenever they come they can say take a higher seat rather than for you to take the highest seat and somebody come to the host of the banquet and go hey big guy you're not number one sorry and have you moved down what a tragedy that is what shame is experienced humiliation embarrassment and so the lord invites us to be humble ourselves and there's the catch No matter what, the Lord will allow us to gain graces of humility, either by our actively choosing them or Him sending them our way. Personally, I kind of like to have a little say in how I get humbled. That's my pride, right? To be able to choose the situations and to lower myself rather than to think myself higher. And then whenever I think everything's good and well, the Lord hits me upside the head and I'm completely embarrassed publicly, I'd rather choose the former than the latter. And so for us to take up those actions of humility so that we grow in it ourselves by our own choosing, by our own desire, rather than to wait for someone else to try to knock us off our horse. The Lord calls us to humility in a great way. But he also shows us here at mass. It's something I think we we can reflect upon much more deeply is the humility of the Lord expressed here in this offering, that he does each of those things, the prayer of humility, the words of humility, the actions of humility, that the Lord Jesus invites us to come here. It's incredible in itself. Our first reading says, you know, you're, not, you're not coming to, 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 to something that you can touch that's nice and easy. You're coming to the dwelling place of God. You're coming to the holy city, Zion. You're coming to meet our Lord. The simple fact that we're here today should bring us to our knees in humility. Indeed, it does at various parts of the Mass. To be humbled, to be able to come and to speak with our God, to be in His presence, to love Him, and to be loved by Him. Automatically, we're drawn to prayer and humility. Secondly, the the prayers in the Mass, and we spoke about it last weekend also, how the prayers in the Mass invite us to humility. Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, have mercy. Thanks be to God. These sorts of things are the words that we speak and the Lord gives to us. I think one of the things that is most often overlooked, most easily overlooked because it's so normal to us, regretfully, is the humility of the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. St. Peter Julian Amard, in his reflections on the Eucharist, he said, the fact that Jesus comes among us in the Eucharist Is the highest expression of his humility. It was incredible that he came among us as flesh, but in his own flesh and blood, he could walk away, he could go away, he could do these sorts of things whenever people came to attack him. He could have left. But in the Eucharist, anything that happens to him, he humbly submits. He chooses obedience to the Father and to us. We could take the host that we get and we could, we could toss it into the yard. We could throw it in the street. We could use it for target practice. And the Lord would not once stop us. Not once. That's the humility of Christ Jesus who loves us. Who came to sacrifice himself for us. To that extent, it would be a bit like the abnegation. But that's the divine humility of Christ. And it's that humility that he invites us to. To be able to draw near to him. To allow him to teach us by words and by deeds what it is to be humble. What it is to know the truth and to live it. What God can do and what we can do.